never ceases to amaze me uh, how good of a piano player Ruth is, right? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a blessing. I'm, I'm not, and she hates me even saying this, but it makes me so jealous because I can't do that, and I wish that I could, and she's so good. Uh, listen, glad you are here. Uh, we are in week two of a very short sermon series that I've entitled The Return. Uh, we'll wrap this up next week, and then we'll start our push towards Easter, and uh, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, and, and I'm looking really forward to uh, that series as that continues to play out and, and how that comes together. Uh, but last week, we, we started this, um, this entire series talking about how uh, it's, sur- it's surrounded around our return, uh, how there are some things that in our life we drift and we kind of, we move and we make distance between us and God, and it's time, I believe, for us to return back. Uh, to some things that we know we should be doing. We wonder, uh, and I I said last uh, week that no matter what you call it, whether it's wandering or, or, you know, just a, just a kind of a, well, I've gotten off track or I've drifted or I've even backslidden. Remember, I threw that word out last uh, week as a word that we don't use very often anymore. Uh, regardless of that, it's time for us to return back to what he has for us because by our choice or by apathy or by neglect or by distraction, we've moved and God stays constant. God is always uh, constant. So if there's distance between you and him, there's only one of you who's moved and it's not him. And so we continue to try to um, pull our our focus back to our necessity for the return. And I said last week we looked at a faith return. Uh, This week we're going to look at a focused return. And and this last week we'll look at a full return. And and last week we started with the story of the lepers. Remember the 10 lepers that were healed? Uh, Jesus heals them and only one comes back back and I told you guys last week kind of ended my whole thought with the, with the thought of uh, a lot of us want uh, we want the the reward without the return right we, we want to be healed without having to come back we want all the good things we got God to continue to supply for us protect us and provide for us we just don't want to come back to what we know we should and so we, we saw that uh, example played out for us in the Samaritan last week so this week I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hosea uh, Old Testament book of Hosea, probably not a book that we turn to very often. Um, and you may not know much about the book of Hosea outside of what happens in the first few chapters. And so uh, you Bible scholars will remember uh, that Hosea is a prophet. Uh, he's, he's a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, this is before the Assyrians come in. And he's saying basically the same thing that just about every other prophet in the north says, get your act together or we're going to be taken over. And he's kind of given this hardcore message to people who don't necessarily want to hear it. And uh, God decides to use uh, Hosea and, and give a, I guess, a real life visual aid, a real life example in the life of Hosea. Uh, And most of the time, we would welcome this, right? We would love this. We'd be like, yes, God, use me. Uh, Use my life as an example of whatever you need to, you know, show people. But uh, for Hosea, it didn't really turn out the way he thought it would. Um, Hosea gets given a pretty hard assignment to marry an unfaithful woman, a woman that he knows is going to continue to be unfaithful to him. And God says to love her and no matter what, no matter how much or how well you love her, she's going to continue to be unfaithful to you over and over and over again. Your wife 
by the beautiful name of Gomer, um, which, is a, which is a name that we all want to name our children. Uh, Gomer uh, plays the role of Israel and Hosea gets to play the role of God that he would consistently love and constantly come back for and continue to redeem uh, his wife uh, no matter how many times she turned her back on him. He basically says your life and your marriage is going to be an example of my love. And, and Homer says, uh, Hosea says, okay, you know, like what else do I, what else can I say when God gives us this kind of uh, assignment and, and surely there's got to be another way. And God says, no, this is what I, this is what I have for you. And so they, uh, he finds Gomer and they get married and they have three children and, and even the names of their children are symbolic for how God feels about Israel. They're named Jezreel, Lo-Rahama and Lo-Ami, meaning God sows, not loved and not my people. And so uh, Hosea's whole life, his marriage, his kids, everything is an example of what God's trying to do and what he's doing with the nation of Israel. It kind of becomes this stage, really, for this drama to play out on. And, and Hosea is a faithful prophet. And, and most of us, we probably stop at the end of the story of Gomer and that's kind of where we uh, kind of settle in the whole story of Hosea. It's really kind of I think maybe the first four chapters and that's pretty much the rest of, uh, of, of that part of that story. But if you continue to read the rest of the book, what you find is God is, is consistently warning Israel of their impending judgment. Like he's trying over and over again to get their attention to do what the things they're supposed to do. He's calling them to repentance. As a matter of fact, chapter 11 is an incredible chapter of Hosea. He's lamenting over the nation of Israel. I've got some of those verses on the screen just because it's such beautiful scripture. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 through 4 says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son, but the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. And it was, it was I who taught Ephraim, that's another word for Israel, to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and I bent down to feed them. Verse seven, my people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the most high, he will by no means exalt them. Verse nine, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. And I love, I mean, this chapter 11 is just full of, I could have just read the whole chapter to you this morning. It's just so beautifully written of God's heartbreak for Israel, his desire for them to truly repent and his wanting and longing for them to return to him. Chapters 12 and 13 are kind of like God's final case against Israel. You know, he's telling them all the things that they've done. He's reminding them of their wandering. He's, he's making them accountable for their idol worship. And he's telling them, listen, Assyria is coming. Like your time is, is, is almost over. And what I love about this story and really what's so reflective of God's true character is that even in our disobedience and even in our wandering and our rebellion and in our sin, God still desires reconciliation. And so chapter 14 is dedicated to God trying to reconcile the nation of Israel. 
Hosea is kind of pleading for Israel to repent. God promises some restoration. And, and see, Hosea is wanting them to return, not half-hearted, not just, okay, well, if it means I'm going to get conquered by Assyria, then yes, I'll come back. Or, you know, it's kind of like the, the kid who only apologizes when he gets caught. It, it's, I don't want you to just come half-hearted. I want you to have a focused, real return to him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. And I believe, I think we're going to learn some real life application to our own return. So if you've got your Bible, Hosea chapter 14, we'll start in verse one. Let's read this together. It says, return, O Israel, to the Lord, your God, your sins have been your downfall. It says Hosea speaking, prophetically speaking the words of God, but it's Hosea who is enunciating this return, O Israel, to the Lord, your God. The Hebrew word literally means to turn back. This is a physical, emotional, spiritual change of direction. And hear me, most of us would just read this and move right on for it, but let's let this settle just a little bit this morning that we should return to the Lord. See, most of us, when we think like, oh, I've wandered a little bit, I've gotten off track, it's not a big deal, I'm just a little off from where I should be. I, I read this week the, the one in 60 aviation rules, some of you who, are, uh, who, who know a little bit about uh, aviation or piloting may know this rule. One in 60 is if you're one degree off, um, it may not seem like a lot, but the further you go, the bigger it is. So... If you travel one foot, one degree off, you're 0.2 inches off from where you should be. It's not a big deal, right? Everybody goes, well, that's, that's, no, that's no big deal. If you travel 100 yards, one degree off, you're 5.2 feet off from your intended destination. It's noticeable, right? At the end of a football field, he's, he's five feet over than where he should be. If you travel a mile, you're 92 feet off. If you fly from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you'll end up on the other side of Baltimore, uh, 42.6 miles away. If you fly around the globe from one point, straight line all the way around, but you're just off one degree, you'll be 435 miles off course when you land. A rocket going to the moon, you'd miss the moon by 4,162 miles. That's twice the diameter of the moon. You'd miss it by three times of what you're shooting for. If you go to the sun, you miss it by 1.6 million miles. And if you go to the nearest star, you'll miss it by 441 billion miles. One degree off makes a huge difference the longer you're in that trajectory. You see, some of us, we go, oh, I've just been a few feet. I've not wandered far. Maybe I've made some bad decisions, but it's not been that long of a time. And some of us, it's been a lot longer. And the longer you've wandered that one degree, the bigger that distance becomes. And you're off by sometimes miles from where God wants you to be. We've, we've felt that We've all lived that. We've, we've probably all say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm an example of that. I've, I've kind of done my own thing. I've made my own decisions. I've, I've wandered off course enough. And then I find myself and I don't know where I am. And I don't know how I even got here. But it just came with just that one little degree difference of what God wants versus what you want. 
No wonder scripture tells us over and over again, James chapter four, verse four, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me. Who does not gather with me scatters. Over and over again, scripture reminds us that if you're not doing exactly what God wants you to be doing, then you're doing something that's against God. That James verse should, should scare us to death that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. That if our hearts and our lives are tuned to what the world wants, then we are essentially hating what God wants. We cannot casually slip in and out of obedience. We like to think that our little sins are just that. They're just, they're just little sins. And somehow we can be out of step with God and it not be a big deal. But hear me, any, any deviation from God's plan in our life is a sin that Jesus had to die for. Any, any one degree off of what God wants for our life is a sin that Jesus had to die for. And ultimately, we think we can slip in and out of obedience and assume it's no big deal. And we have to return. We have to return and get back to him and what he has and what he says and what he is and what his plan is and his will is. And like I said before, if there's distance between you and God, it's because you've put it there, not because he's changed course. The pulpit commentary says this. I love it. I think I even put it up on the screen for you. This is, this is a commentary, pulpit commentary, I think was first written in the 1700s. I read it a lot. I think it's really good, but it says this. The penitent, therefore, is not merely to turn his mind or his face toward God, but to turn his face and his feet home to God. He is not to go halfway and then turn aside or part of the way and then turn back. But the whole way, in other words, his repentance is to be complete and entire, wanting nothing. That's incredibly written. That our feet and our face turn back. Not just, not just our face, you know, okay, well, I'll, I'll do what I'm supposed to do for just a little bit. I'm going to keep walking this direction, but I'm going to look this direction. And he says, no, your whole body turns and goes back to what God has for us. This is a full-fledged, focused return, focused on him who we are returning to. Hosea says at the very beginning of this, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Don't, don't excuse your disobedience. Hosea's not going to let them do it. See, we like to blame uh, every other thing instead of just calling it what it is. One of the last, I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but I, I taught series throughout student ministry. And one of the last uh, ones that I taught with your students is just call it what it is. Just call it what it is. Quit beating around the bush. Quit, quit, quit making excuses. Quit, quit calling it and justifying it, whatever it is. Just call it what it is. Our sins have been our downfall. We, we will blame our disobedience on a thousand different things. Well, if my schedule wasn't so busy or if my kids weren't involved in so many other activities or if I had more money or if I had more time or we try to minimize our sin, and call it things to make ourselves feel better. Well, I only get drunk a few times a year. It's not that big of a deal. It's just innocent flirting. Nobody's going to get hurt. It's the weekend, right? I should be able to relax a little bit on the weekend. You can call it whatever you want to. Hosea says, no, your sin has been your downfall. 
your sin, your deliberate turning away from what God has for you. You did that. It's not anybody else's fault. You can't blame it on your family or on your friends. You've made the decisions that you've made. Your sin is your downfall. But you know, God knows it's your sin. Keep reading verse two. He says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sin and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And I love this because Hosea's given us a model. He says, return and then, oh, when you return, say this. Like he's helping us out. Like he's, he's laying, there's no, he couldn't be any more clear than he is in scripture right now. He says, forgive us our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. This is 1 John 1, 9 played out for us in real life. He's calling them to say, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like we know 1 John 1, 9. And he's saying, just go back to him and ask for forgiveness. This word graciously, receive us graciously is the Hebrew word tov, T-O-B, but pronounced with a V and it means good. Now, even in South Arkansas, with my public school education, the sentence, forgive all our sins and receive us good, does not settle well, right? We read that and go, oh, that, I mean, that sounds like my cousin, but that's not right English, right? That's not right. That's not proper English. Forgive us our sins and receive us tov. Receive us good. But here's what's great about this word tov. If you go back to Genesis and the creation narrative, the word tov comes up over and over and over again because it's the same word that God uses when he declares his creation good. Right At the end of the first day, God saw what he had created and said it was good. That's the word tov. It goes through all these days, even in the creation of man, and says that it was good. And I love that Hosea uses the same word. And it's basically saying, listen, forgive us, receive us like we were created to be. Tov. Receive us graciously like we never sinned to begin with. Like we, like we were created initially to be. Receive us like that. Receive us tove. See, that's, that's what we want. When we think about the return. We think about what forgiveness is and God's granting us this grace. We're saying, take, take all the mess that I've made over here and just wipe that out and put me back like it was before I ever messed up in the first place. Hosea says to do this so that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And you, read, you know, I read that and I was like, that really doesn't make much sense. So I went to other translations. The King James Version says this, so that we may render the calves of our lips. <laughs> that doesn't help me out any at all. So I read the literal translation word for word. 
and we would fain repay calves our lips. <laughs> I was like, okay, Lord, you're going to have to tell me what that means. He's saying our return will be verbalized through thanksgiving and praise. That our praise will be a sacrifice to God. It will be like the calves that we offer at the altar. It will be like the bulls that they would burn and offer in sacrifice to God that the outcry of our hearts would be an offering of praise to him. Psalm 69, 30 and 31 says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horn and with its hooves, right? God doesn't want your religion. He wants your praise. He doesn't want you to check off boxes. He wants you to live for him wholeheartedly. He doesn't want apathetic obedience. He wants a heart overflowing with thanksgiving and praise. And he says, God, receive me graciously so that I can praise offering you over and over and over again. Hosea says, come back to God. Come back and ask for forgiveness and beg him and plead him to receive you graciously. And when he does, offer your sacrifice to him of thanksgiving and praise. That's incredible. When you read it, you go, that's exactly what we got to do. That's exactly what we want to do. And then look what he says in verse 3. This is so great. Continue, this is continuing what Hosea says to say to the Lord, um, receive us graciously, um, forgive our sins, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made, for in you the fatherless find compassion. Now, here's what Hosea is doing. Hosea is listing off essentially the three major sins of Israel. One is Assyria. Assyria cannot save us. If you read back, we, haven't, we didn't do this research, but just know in chapter 5, Hosea actually confronts Israel about them asking Assyria for help. They went to their enemy to help fight with them to conquer another enemy. They said, instead of seeking out God's help, they went and sought Assyria. And Hosea's like, how can you do that? These people are pagans. These people are, are going to come and get us eventually, and you're just inviting, you're opening the door for them. Go back and say, Assyria cannot save us. And then we, we will now mount war horses. This is, uh, this is saying we won't go to Egypt for help either. Egypt was uh, famous for their war horses and their chariots and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's saying, don't go, don't go to Egypt either. We've already left Egypt a long time ago. Some of us continue to go things that we left a long time ago, thinking that will help us. Hosea says, don't go to Assyria, don't go to Egypt. And he says, we'll never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. He's confronting their idol worship. Assyria, Egypt, and idols knowing that they'd bound down to things that they should not have ever done. And on the surface, we as uh, good Baptist people would push back from that, right? Well, we would, we would never 
but we do. All the time. How many times have we ran to others before we ran to God? How often do we try to figure things out on our own without seeking what God actually wants? How often do we worship things, served our own selfish ambitions, or prioritized our own wants over his, or placed other things as most important and negated the thing that is supposed to be most important in our life? Right, this goes all the way back to our 2022 theme of first. Right, We're going to live first. We're going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Hosea is saying, listen, we're not going to go back to these other things that we know can't save us. We're not going to go back to that, that toxic relationship. We're not going to go back to this, this dependence on things that we know can never really fulfill us. We're not going to go back to those things that we, that we run, those habitual sins we run to thinking, oh, this will make me feel better in this moment, knowing that they're not going to save us ultimately. We're not going to go back to those things. We're going to return to the Lord. We've got to stop seeking out Assyria and Egypt. Our schedules and our wants and our sin habits and hoping that somehow these things will fulfill us. He's the only thing that we need. He's the only thing that we should be seeking after. He's the only thing that we should be returning to. Now at this point, the end of verse 3, Hosea has been speaking. But if you read in your Bible in verse 4, the quotation marks come back. And this is now God speaking forward. This is kind of almost a a last uh, uh, kind of call to repentance. Hosea says, return, say this, do this, confess this. And then God speaks in verse four and says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Are you kidding? If we do these things, if we come back and we confess and we repent and we return, he will heal us and love us freely. Another commentary I read said, the majestic reply of Jehovah is full of superlative grace. That's beautifully said. The majestic supply, uh, reply of Jehovah is full of superlative grace. Return, repent, and he will love us freely. I was writing this, and I remember just sitting in my office, and just, I just kind of put my hands down. And stared at the screen just in a moment of awe. And thought God in his compassion. And in his mercy. Allows us to return. And loves us freely in that return. He doesn't have to. But he allows us to. And I just remember thinking God... How many times have I, have I gotten so far off and you've just allowed me to come right back? And you've loved me freely. And it's like it hit me. It's the, that's the message of the gospel. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. That sin has separated us from the Father. By our own willingness we have wandered. And by grace we are able to return to him. And we come and we repent and we give our lives as an offering. And he loves us freely why would we ever not return why would we ever 
try to figure things out on our own when he's waiting to love us freely in our return. In verse five through eight, God paints this beautiful picture. And, and, and I'm just gonna read these verses just because I think that it's so good and we can't skip stuff like this when we're on a Sunday morning. This is a chapter I hope that you go back and reread this week and it's, it's so good. Listen to how God restores those who return. Verse five, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down its roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like a grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his frame will, not be, will be like the wine from Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I do to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Over and over again, God's using words like blossoming, rooted, growing, splendor, shaded, fruitful. For those who return, this is what God provides. This is the picture of the returned. Here's my last thought and I'm gonna wrap up. Hosea comes back in the narrative at the very end. God wraps up his thought with the pine tree. You know, it resonates in Warren. And Hosea comes back in. And he says this, verse 9. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. And I... Be real honest, I, I think most of us in here would kind of rule ourselves out from that conversation. Right? I'm not wise. I'm not discerning. But I don't have to be super intelligent to know that the ways of the Lord are right. Hosea says, walk in them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. So maybe... I thought maybe, just maybe, there's, there's this connection of, of walking in the ways of the Lord makes us wise and it makes us discerning. Maybe there's a link between obedience and growing in wisdom. Who's wise? <laughs> we all put our head down like the preacher just asked us to pray in public. No, not me. Who's discerning? Not me. Because we know we've, we've veered off course so far. We've made poor choices and we've made dumb decisions. And what if just walking in righteousness leads to wisdom? What if just making one right decision after the other would culminate in a life full of wisdom? What if our obedience was linked 
to growing. And we, there's a lot of things I want to be in life. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good friend. But how great would it be if the people who knew me the most when I was gone said, man, he was, he was wise. Not that he was the smartest guy in the room. He, he was not. But he was obedient. And if he can be obedient in the little things, he was obedient in the big things, and that makes him pretty wise. That sounds a whole lot better than stumbling in rebellion. The ways of the Lord are right, the righteous walk in them, the rebellious stumble. I think too many of us are stumbling in our rebellion. And it's time to just return. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and TJ's going to sing and this is an opportunity for you just to return. I told you last week you can come and you can pray. At the altar you can come pray with me. But your return takes action. It takes movement. Remember that that commentary that says it's not just a head turn, it's a feet and life turn. And some of you, man, I've been stumbling for too long. I'm not wise. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But, but maybe if we just start to walk in righteousness, start to walk in obedience and in righteousness, we will begin to make wise decisions. It's the first step of returning. And Hosea laid it out for us so beautifully in verse 1 and 2. Come asking for forgiveness and he will love us freely. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for today and thank you for just a moment that we have to be honest with ourselves and be honest with you. And Father, we just pray that as we think about our wandering, as we think about all the things that we've done and the deviation of the plan that you have for our life, God, and how we've made our own choices and how we've made our own decisions and how... God, really, ultimately, that just causes space between us. Father, a lot of us need to return. Some of us need to to get down on our face before you and ask for forgiveness and plead for mercy. And Father, a lot of us are stumbling. We may not... We might not be making every decision wrong, but there's just enough in there to trip us up. God, help us walk in righteousness. Let's walk in obedience. God, it's not, it's not promised to be easy. You're just promising that's where you are and that's where we want to be. So, Father, if there's somebody here this morning that says, man, I, need to, I just need to get back to what I know I'm supposed to be doing, God, allow them to do that. Maybe for somebody here this morning that says, I, I don't even know where to start. God, I'd love to pray with them. I'd love to talk to them about how Jesus can really get us back on the right track. Father, whether questions about church and, and church membership or salvation or just 
man, just pray with me. God, let us be obedient to what you're calling us to in this moment. Father, if they need to come forward to pray, if they need to come pray with me, God, I pray that you'd allow them to do that. Either way, accept our return in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys come as we sing.